Before we start the show, a reminder that you can hear more of our political reporting on the NPR One app. That's N-P-R-O-N-E. And you can also use it to discover new podcasts like Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. It's a guide to the good stuff in popular culture, and we think you'll like it. Okay, here's the show. It's the NPR Politics Podcast for Friday, October 28th, in our run of episodes every weekday until the election. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Sarah McCammon, campaign reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. And... Frog. On the sick ward over here, Ron. (laughs) Okay, so before we start, congrats to those of you who snapped up the vocalness posters we told you about yesterday. We promise we are working to get some more printed up. We were really taken aback by how quickly they all disappeared, by the amount of demand. So we're really sorry if you missed out this time, but please stay tuned. Can I just say, as I said on Twitter today, like lots of disappointment from people who didn't get them. But no one was mean. No one was nasty. No one lost their mind, which like I would expect no less. But everybody was so classy. So thank you guys for understanding. Stay classy. That's right. All right, everybody. Who's ready to talk about Hillary Clinton's emails again? Me. Oh, that's Carrie Johnson. She is our our justice correspondent who uh, we just brought into the studio very quickly because we have a story that Carrie is here to talk about. So today we learned around 1 p.m. that FBI Director James Comey sent a letter to Congress letting them know about newly discovered emails that, quote, appear to be pertinent to the investigation of Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while Secretary of State and her handling of classified information. This is the same investigation that the FBI had previously said had run its course without charges being filed against Clinton or any of her aides. So uh, James Comey, the FBI director, wrote that the emails were discovered, quote, in connection with an unrelated case. And he also said that the FBI, quote, cannot yet assess whether or not this material may be significant and that he can't predict how long it will take to find out. Okay, Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) So with that bombshell dropped on all of us just days before the election, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, huh? Yeah. So what are some of the questions that you are trying to answer? Do you like do you know what this unrelated investigation is, for instance? Well, first a source told me it was an unrelated criminal case. And then I heard it was an unrelated criminal case in New York. And then I just heard from a source that it, in fact, relates to the investigation of Anthony Weiner, who is the husband of Clinton's close aide, Huma Abedin. Weiner, of course, has been in the news for some rather unfortunate reasons this year, sexting to exchange messages with women, including uh, the allegation as at least one underage girl. And he was a member of Congress until he wasn't. So yeah. you're hearing so you're hearing that the, the FBI was investigating all of that that you just described, Anthony Weiner's issues. And in the course of that, they came along something that was relevant to this Clinton matter. Sure. So when you're an FBI investigator and you're interested in, or a law enforcement official and you're interested in somebody's electronic contacts, you need to go through their electronic devices. And that, um, we think, led authorities to this new cache of material, which may or may not relate to Hillary Clinton and classified information. That's the open question the FBI is trying to answer now, whether there's any classified material here at all. Or even whether Hillary Clinton 
emailed, whether any of these emails are Hillary Clinton-related emails. So sources are telling me this is not something they missed during the initial very lengthy and extensive review of Hillary Clinton's server. It's not clear whether Clinton herself sent or received any of these messages. They need to go through all this stuff. They're not characterizing how much it is, but it it feels right now like it might take a while. Are you getting any sense? I mean, we know the statement from Comey said, you know, basically we don't know how significant this is. Are you getting any sense of the potential import of whatever this is? Well, Sarah, good question, because there are two implications, right? One is we really don't know whether there's any huge breakthrough in these materials, and it could take days or weeks to know. At the same time, we're less than two weeks out from a presidential election. And as you know better than anybody, Republicans are seizing on this once again today to uh, try to poke holes in Hillary Clinton's trustworthiness. And I just want to jump really quick to this tape of Donald Trump. Um, It was basically the first thing he said uh, as he uh, was at this rally today in New Hampshire. The FBI has just sent a letter to Congress informing them that they have discovered new emails pertaining to the former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's investigation. So this is, I mean, this is, if I may jump in here, this is a theme of course, that Trump has been hitting really hard forever. I mean, Crooked Hillary is his nickname for Hillary Clinton. This is sort of his central argument against her. So no surprise, his campaign immediately jumped on this new revelation. Uh, I mean, again, we don't know what the revelation entails, but that this is being looked into. You know, he called it a miscarriage of justice, that that the matter was sort of closed up and moved on. Uh, His campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway, tweeted, a great day in our campaign just got even better. Carrie, the Justice Department normally has guidelines or at least a custom that it does not do anything that might be perceived even as putting a thumb on the scales just on the eve of an election. This would seem to be a departure from that. Ron, you're exactly right. So there's a strong tradition among public corruption prosecutors all over the country, federal prosecutors, that you do not take action that could influence an election. Those rules are mostly in place for things like statehouse races and treasures of different states (laughs) and counties. We're talking right now about the president of the United States. So I've been asking around today about how the FBI director could come to send such a letter to oversight committees on the Hill so quickly uh, or so soon before uh, um, the election for president. And the answer is the FBI director testified on Capitol Hill, but he also answered questions about what would happen if new information came to light, new and potentially substantial information came to light. And he promised lawmakers at that time that he would take a look at all that new information. And he apparently feels that this new information, which has come out as a result of the Anthony Weiner investigation, merited an update to Congress. Uh, perhaps in James Comey's view, uh, the notion that if he withheld that information until after the election, and it came out, it would raise some real questions about what kind of transparency he was providing as the FBI director. So in a very real sense, he is covering himself and the FBI in its function by doing this at this moment and not waiting until after the election. Yeah, I mean, it just seems that it is clear that we are going to have an election with an FBI investigation hanging over it. Three months after we thought the FBI investigation had ended. Okay, Carrie, we know you have news to report to the masses, so thank you very much for for dropping in. Thanks. Okay, bye. All right, we're alone here again. Um, (laughs) The politics. I, 
I don't know how exactly this plays out. I, I, you know, like we've been talking about Hillary Clinton's emails since before Hillary Clinton was a candidate for president. We've been talking about them since March 2015, when we found out that there was a private email server in her home. Uh, that's that's really when we started talking about it. And it's been pretty much a nonstop conversation since then, uh, with fits and starts. And this was this was not the reason that Donald Trump was going to talk about emails today. He was going to talk about them anyway. He just but, moved it up to the top but, of his speech. But suddenly, suddenly, something that the FBI had investigated and said, "There's nothing to prosecute here," or "This is not a prosecutable case here." suddenly is something that the FBI is looking at further. So that is something that clearly is going to bother a lot of voters. It may not make up their minds for them. The undecided may be swayed or not swayed by this investigation. But uh, but it is certainly something that the entire Republican apparatus is going to seize upon and make issue one from now on. We, we, didn't, we don't have any more debates. We don't have any other major events. This was a, a landscape without features from now until November 8th. And suddenly there is something very large on that landscape. And it goes to, again, her, her biggest, I think, weakness in the minds of many voters. I mean, when I talk to voters, it's something, especially those who are still making up their minds or who are weighing the merits of both candidates, haven't, you know, haven't, aren't in love with either one that they mention a lot is I don't trust her. I hear this from from many voters who are, you know, even Republican leaning voters who are like, you know, really don't trust Donald Trump either. But a lot of them have a real concern about her trustworthiness and her many, many years in, you know, the political establishment. And this just I think it's a gift to the Trump campaign at this point in the cycle. How big of a gift is the question? The one caution I would add about this being a massive bombshell is that there has been for some large portion of this campaign, several months of this campaign, an FBI investigation hanging over Hillary Clinton's campaign. And when James Comey came out and said, we're we're not going to press charges, her popularity did not soar. Her honest and trustworthiness did not soar. You know, there are probably some Republican, suburban Republicans who were like, gosh, I can't vote for Donald Trump. I don't think I can vote for Hillary Clinton. Oh, maybe I can vote for Hillary Clinton. OK, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And maybe some of them are now voting for Mickey Mouse or leaving it blank because they this could push them back away from thinking they could possibly stomach a Hillary Clinton presidency. I mean, we really just don't know yet. We and don't know. We won't know until we get some good polling on it. And even then, I mean, we're at a point in this this thing where you can only put so much stock in, in the polls the last couple of weeks. Isn't that true? Well, and how many millions of people have voted already? Yeah. How many people are truly undecided at this point? That's always a good question. My guess is that a lot of the people saying they're undecided won't vote, at least not for president. But... Uh, what we do know at this juncture, though, is that this is a race with a couple of weeks left to run almost and uh, highly unpopular nominees on both sides, neither one of whom seems to have really captured the imagination of the nation. But Hillary Clinton seems to have been able to build a little bit of a of a lid on top of Donald Trump's support and keep hers just a little bit above that, not much. And in the crucial states, we know that she has an advantage there that if it holds, despite this latest salvo of doubt, uh, should be sufficient to put her over the top. The, the sad thing from the standpoint of everyone who would like to have this process be over is that this is just going to further feed the narrative that there's something rotten in Denmark and that uh, somehow or another any result we get on November 8th is not necessarily legitimate and can be challenged. 
And we've just gotten a statement from John Podesta. He is the chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign. It comes in response to the FBI letter uh, to the GOP congressional chairman. I'm going to read some of it. it. It's long. Here we go. Upon completing this investigation more than three months ago, FBI Director Comey declared no reasonable prosecutor would move forward with a case like this and added that it was not even a close call. In the months since, Donald Trump and his Republican allies have been baselessly second-guessing the FBI and, in both public and private, browbeating the career officials there to revisit their conclusion in a desperate attempt to harm Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. He goes on to say, It is extraordinary that we would see something like this just 11 days out from a presidential election. The director owes it to the American people to immediately provide the full details of what he is now examining. We are confident this will not produce any conclusions different from the one the FBI reached in July. Well, uh, I mean, you can't know that. I, that may be true, but I mean, it's it, they're looking into it. That's all we can really say for sure. It is an extraordinarily strange situation. First of all, that the FBI would make an announcement, put out a letter to the Republican chairs of all these committees, and they are all Republicans, of course. The Republicans control the House and Senate. They are all the chairs. And tell them, well, we're going to look at a few more things we did see, but not promising them anything soon and not promising them anything particularly significant. That was the word that was used by FBI Director Comey. He said, we don't know whether or not these are significant. So now he has to either come out at some juncture and say, you know what, they weren't significant. Or he has to come out and say, wow, these are pretty significant. Maybe we ought to reconsider whether or not we're going to indict Hillary Clinton after saying it wasn't even a close call. This is curious and puts Mr. Comey and I think the whole FBI in a rather odd place with 11 days to go before the election, especially because they are making it pretty clear they don't expect to resolve the matter before the election. I think that the issue is and the challenge for them is that let's say they got these things and they, you know, looked into it and they didn't tell anybody that they were looking into it. And then like six months from now, they get a FOIA request for more investigative notes and this comes out and then the news is, well, the FBI was hiding something that could have changed the outcome of the election. Of course, the FBI, by releasing this letter, could also change the outcome of the election. I think that's what they are. What they're what they're saying is we don't really want to change the outcome of the election, but we feel that we can't sustain any kind of a criticism or any kind of a, an accusation that we protected Hillary Clinton. So. Either. So neither of those is an acceptable situation. This is the best we can do. Well, we will most certainly have more on the emails in the days ahead, uh, likely in an episode very soon. In other news today, let's talk about campaign finance. There are new fundraising reports out that show Hillary Clinton has more than twice as much cash on hand as Donald Trump. Her campaign, in combination with the Democratic Party, has about $153 million in the bank compared to the $68 million that Donald Trump and his joint fundraising committee with the Republican Party have. And then, Sarah, what happens when you drill down even further? I mean, so, Tam, there are lots of different numbers we talk about here, right? There are total contributions. There's cash on hand. There's the joint fundraising that the candidates do that you alluded to with their party infrastructures. And there's the campaign contributions directly to their campaigns, not to mention super PACs. But by any measure, 
Hillary Clinton is way ahead of Donald Trump. So she's got $62 million in the bank as of October 19th. That's Trump, the cash on hand. That's that the we talk cash about. on hand, right? And then Trump just sixteen million dollars. But we should say Trump has been pledging for a long time to, to contribute about a hundred million dollars to his campaign, and so far he's a long way from that. But he he has uh, said today he's giving ten million to his campaign, according to NBC News. They're saying he's wired that money to his campaign, bringing his total contributions to about sixty six million. That again is still far short of the hundred million that he'd promised. Yeah, and I got a fundraising email from the Trump campaign shortly after that saying, hey, I did this. They were describing it as unprecedented. I gave an unprecedented $10 million to my campaign. Can you give me $6? Right. And we're getting lots of fundraising emails from the Trump campaign. I mean, everybody's fundraising right now, but but they're still heavily you know, asking for contributions. So, Ron, we're like 11 days out, 12 days out, depending on who does the math. What is this money used for? Why why is it important to have more than $16 million in the bank at this point in a campaign? There is the question of late ad buys. There is the question of paying for a lot of people on the ground to be out there getting the vote out for you. There is the question of meeting payrolls for people who have been working for you for months and months and months. A campaign that is broke at this point is a campaign that is uh, in desperate straits. It essentially sends the signal that people have not believed in you enough to give you the money that you need, including the candidate himself, apparently. Now... The Trump campaign is fortunate in many respects because of the fact that the Republican National Committee, well before they knew who the nominee was going to be, had set up an infrastructure of fundraising and, and organizing and volunteering infrastructure in across the country in many key battleground states, places like Nevada, where I've been a couple times lately. They've been there more than a year. And they have sort of put in place this infrastructure to get out the vote, not just for the the nominee, but also for their down ticket races. And the Trump campaign is benefiting from that, has relied extremely heavily on that. And, uh, you know, the, the word from the Trump campaign, they had a call with the campaign and, and the RNC this morning with reporters is, look, you know, we've had this infrastructure in place for a long time. We're using the money that we do have really, really efficiently. Uh, I mean, we'll find out soon whether or not that's true. Well, and and of course, that's what you would say. Uh, usually what the presidential candidate does, though, is lead the way. It's exactly. the engine on the train. In this particular case, it has been anything but the engine on the train. It's been depending on the train to push it. On the topic of down ballot races, there was a debate last night in Illinois, Senate debate between Senator Mark Kirk and Congresswoman Tammy Duckworth. And video from that is now making its way around the Internet in light speed. Here's a little bit. You know, my family has served this nation in uniform going back to the revolution. I'm a daughter of the American Revolution. I've bled for this nation. But I still want to be there in the Senate when the drums of war sound because people are quick to sound the drums of war. And I want to be there to say, this is what it costs. This is what you're asking us to do. And if that's the case, I'll go. Families like mine are the ones that bleed first. But let's make sure the American people understand what we are engaging in, and let's hold our allies accountable because we can't do it all. Senator Kirk, 30 seconds to rebut. I had forgotten uh, that your uh, parents came all the way from Thailand to serve George Washington. And there was this just very long pause there. Yeah. 
And, and of course, and then he she was, got a little smile on her face because that was a terrible thing he said. And it was inaccurate. I, yeah. I, I mean, she is of Thai descent, but she, her family has indeed been here. Her father was a Marine and met her mother when he was serving in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, she, of course, immediately tweeted out a picture of her father. And in fact, his family has been serving in the American military back to the American Revolution. It was an unforced error, to put it very mildly. Mark Kirk was already regarded as the most endangered incumbent in the entire Senate. One third of the Senate is on the ballot. Mark Kirk was number one target. Illinois' demographics aren't very good for him in a presidential year. It's a pretty blue state. It just is inexplicable why he chose that moment to unburden himself of whatever that resentment was that he was expressing. And Tammy Duckworth is a double amputee from her own service in the U.S. military. And and we should note Mark Kirk is, of course, the Republican incumbent senator. He has not endorsed Donald Trump, which has gotten him into trouble with the Trump campaign. Kellyanne Conway, the campaign manager, has gloated a bit about this uh, about this gaffe. And he is several points down in, you know, an average of recent polling. And Kirk did later tweet, quote, sincere apologies to an American hero, Tammy Duckworth, and gratitude for her family's service. So he's he's trying to clean it up. Uh, You know, if Mark Kirk loses on November 8th, it's not going to be because of this. But it doesn't help. No, it doesn't help. But he was losing already. Before we get to the break, let's mention where the candidates will be over the weekend. Yesterday, we talked about why that's a good indication of their strategy in these final weeks. Uh, Donald Trump will be in Colorado and Arizona on Saturday. He'll be in Nevada on Sunday. And Hillary Clinton will be in Florida and Florida. Um, She's attending a J-Lo concert. Well, actually, J-Lo is holding a concert for her campaign on Saturday night in Florida. And then... She's going to be in Arizona, one of those states that we talked about yesterday. Right, a state where normally she wouldn't be spending any time and Donald Trump shouldn't have to spend a lot of time. But he's going to be there and so she. Yeah. So what do we read into all this, Ron? Well, that reflects the dynamics of the campaign where it stood before James Comey's latest bombshell, uh, which was that the race had settled down in most respects, that the states that Hillary Clinton needed to reach 270 were pretty much in hand, and that what she needed to do next was expand the map and go into states that normally are not even safe for Democrats to traverse in this stage of a campaign. Uh, But Georgia looks like it's probably falling back to the Republican column. And Arizona looked like a better opportunity, much larger Hispanic population there, of course. And um, the other one that is the grand prize, that is the largest state that is not leaning in any particular direction at this point, is Florida. So that's where she's going to be, expanding the map in places like Arizona and working as hard as she can to nail down Florida. Florida, Florida, Florida. But let's remember that there's been a you know rather large shock to the system here on late in the week, and we'll have to see how things shake out next week and how the two campaigns deal with the new circumstance. And Trump is, you know, he is campaigning on Sunday, which is a relatively recent addition for him. He used, he tends to take Sundays off. So he's, you know, he's picked up his pace the last couple of weeks. And we're going to hear more about this in every single stop, I would predict, for the next few days, at least. Let's just say until November 8th. Until November 8th. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Support for NPR Politics and the following message come from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, making getting a mortgage more convenient than ever before. Get approved for a mortgage online in minutes using your phone or tablet and ditch the stacks of financial documents by using cutting-edge technology. 
You can also safely share bank statements and pay stubs with the touch of a button. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash nprpolitics. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, United Health Group, who asks, how can we really improve health care? Bring back the house call? Open walk-in clinics in convenient places? Help more moms get prenatal care? Or use technology to find insights that lower health care costs? Maybe help doctors spend more time with patients, not paperwork? What if we did all of this and more? Because it's all connected to better care, and better care means better health. United Health Group, built for better health. Learn more at unitedhealthgroup.com. Okay, we're back. We were just talking about J-Lo, so now let's talk about Justin Timberlake. Um, does he have a name? Does he have I, a nickname? Didn't he had some name when he and Brittany were together? Did they have like a mashup name? But I don't know. It's been so long. Gosh. All right. Well, stay with me. He's bringing sexy back to the voting booth. Um, here's a letter we got from Ashley in Long Beach. She had a question about voting booth selfies. Hello, NPR Politics Podcast. I was wondering, what are the general do's and don'ts of what is acceptable inside of the actual voting booth? Here in California, we are voting on 17 propositions, which is a lot to keep track of. Am I allowed to bring my phone with me to look up my own voting guide? Are Justin Timberlake voting inside the booth selfies okay? Thank you, Ashley. And thank you, Ashley. So... Doesn't it depend on where you live? It does depend on where you live. So let's start with California. In California, Ashley, where you are, um, here's what the AP has to say. Uh, Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill last month that repeals a 125-year-old law barring voters from showing people their marked ballots. The change will take effect nearly two months after the presidential election. But legislative analysts have found no occasion of the ban being enforced. The author of the bill, in fact, has been sharing constituents' photos of marked ballots on social media since the law passed. So I think you are totally cool in that booth taking selfies. However... We have a lot of states in this country and they have a lot of different rules. Um, so that AP report has information on all the states. Uh, so uh, I will tweet that report out and, and maybe even pin it so that uh, people can easily find it. And this has led in Iowa to an intra-party dispute, I want to mention. <laughs> so according to the Cedar Rapids Gazette, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the Lynn County auditor, whose name is Joel Miller, asked police to arrest a former campaign rival, someone who had challenged him unsuccessfully in the Democratic primary for alleged misconduct. Apparently, uh, on October 13th, his former rival, Joe Stutler, was accused of, well, he, he, according to this complaint, admitted he was filling out his ballot next to the men's restroom, which is not in the polling place or in a voting booth. Furthermore, he was, quote, allegedly taking photos of his voted ballot instead of immediately returning it 
to a precinct election official and uh, the, the the did he just need reading material uh, in the bathroom what is going on maybe so but allegedly this is election misconduct in the second degree under Iowa code as I can <laughs> see uh, it appears that everything was sort of set aside but you know this is something that can get very serious he took his ballot somewhere other than to the ballot box directly and yes. that was clearly a violation do not pass go do not go to the bathroom take, take your ballot to the ballot box take this stuff seriously folks just Put the ballot in the box. So I should say, Stutler, you know, for his part, says, I had to go to the bathroom, so I walked down the hall and filled out the ballot. He says it's what he would have done if he had filled out an absentee ballot in his defense. So this case is still <laughs> open, Sarah? It appears to be. Our, our long national nightmare is not over? I have my finger on the pulse of Iowa politics, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, that's a wrap for today. We will have a new episode of Listener Mail for you tomorrow. And on Sunday, one of our favorite episodes from the archives, because even we need a day off occasionally. And after that, we'll be back with a new episode rounding up the latest political news on Monday evening around 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Until then, keep up with more of our coverage on the NPR One app and on your local public radio station. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. I'm Sarah McCammon, campaign reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.